Men, we're under attack. On every side, evil forces encircle us and they desire to tear down and destroy that which we stand upon. Our families and our faith, our forefathers are being overthrown on every side. And just as in the days of Isaiah, we are witnessing that justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. Truth is fallen in the streets. And just as it is today, the reason is that there is no man to be found. The question is, how long will we allow this injustice to take place? How long will we relinquish the removal of righteousness? How far will we allow truth to fall in our streets? Where are the men of courage called to fight for the faith? Where are the mighty men who will raise a fist and declare, ENOUGH! Where are the fearless few who race towards giants, who swing jawbones, who crumble walled cities, who plague evil rulers, and who walk on the water? Where are the men who carry crosses? There's no refuting that something must be done as enough is enough, but too often we look at our neighbor. We point to the pastor or we depend upon the deacon to be that man, and as a result of our pointing passive fingers, Truth has fallen in our streets. There's no intercessor to be found in our day. But what if? What if God's plan for every man was to take that stand? What if each man were willing to be God's man in the battle? What if God has called you to be the one to charge the enemy's camp? What if he has commissioned you to boldly believe and fight fearlessly on his behalf? Well, maybe you're thinking, I, I could never. I'm, I'm not strong enough. I, I, I don't know enough. I'm a nobody going nowhere. But consider the explanation of through whom men are called to be valiant that we find in Psalm 60, verse 12. And it says, Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. We are calling all men who are ready to return to the resolute and rigid righteousness of our faith. Men who possess a power and carry a courage to stand for God's word in a world bent on destroying it. Most of us at some point or another grew up playing this game called Simon Says or Follow the Leader. And... As you just saw, as fun as that game can be, and as entertaining as that can be, uh, the truth is that with our lives, the way that we live every day, day in and day out, we're playing a game of follow the leader. By raise of hands, how many of you have children? How many of you attend a church? How many of you have close friends or coworkers or neighbors that you spend time with? We talked last month about how God has entrusted us with a body that he's placed us as head over, and... Every person in our circle of influence is a part of that body that we're responsible for. But what I want us to comprehend today is that by the way we live our lives, by the things we say, by what we believe, by how we act, we are playing Simon Says. Our lives are a real life game of follow the leader. There are little eyes and big eyes all around us watching what we do. And I really want you just to let that sink in for a minute because consider that someone, somewhere, someone that you care about is following you. They're acting like you act. They're talking like you talk. They believe something 
because you believe it. You're being mimicked. You're being followed, whether you even realize it or not. Now, if you have children, right, this is probably a little more obvious. I've got almost a three-year-old, and we used to, you know, trick her and try to get her to say funny words like Worcestershire uh, just to hear her say it. But now, without even provoking her, my wife and I find her repeating the words and the phrases that we say. She's constantly wanting to be a big girl and do the things that she sees mom and dad do, right? She's following right in our footsteps, and right now it's pretty obvious But can I tell you that if you don't have children who are living at home, if if your children are adults, they're still following you. If you attend a church, there are plenty of people following you, even if they're not your own children. Because as people, we have a tendency to repeat and relive that which we receive. We follow those who appear worth following. Most of you know that we have a youth camp in the summer that's made up of churches from all over the state and even out of state. And when we get together for camp, we become one big family. All the churches are mixed up together and they form teams for the week. But what's so interesting is that without even asking a person what church they belong to, a lot of times I can guess without being told. And it's not because I have the inside scoop. I didn't read their registration form. But because of how they act, right, because of how they believe or they behave or how they talk or how they dress, usually I can just about guess what church they belong to. And I have no doubt they say the same thing about our church, right? Oh, you must belong to Sand Hill. But guys, this is what I really want to bring to our attention this morning. No matter your age, no matter your position, no matter your role, mark it down that someone somewhere is following you. And that should scare us to death. Someone that you know, someone that you care about is acting like you act. They are talking like you talk. They are believing like you believe. It's going to happen. It's just the facts. Someone will follow you. Even the youngest among us, right? Kason's only six years old and I watch and he has, he has Juliet and Callan and Kari following right behind him, right? All of us, each and every one of us are being followed no matter your age, no matter your position, And as sad as that truth is, I've been in the same church for almost 30 years now, and the fact is that though everyone is in fact being followed, not everyone is worth following. In fact, I would even go as far as to admit that it's difficult to find someone, even in the church house, that's worth following. And so too often in the church, we set a pattern of being a poor example to follow. We doom the next generations to follow in our flawed and failed footsteps. And because of it, churches crumble, congregations crash, converts continue no longer, all because there was not someone worth following to follow. We're playing a life-threatening game of follow the leader that has eternal consequences. And so, men, this is my first challenge to you today. You're being followed, but are you worth following? So, if we are absolutely being followed, how exactly can we live a life that we know is worth following? How, how can we live a life that our children can follow and we can have absolute assurance that we've not led them astray? How, how can we live in a, a life that doesn't fail those in the church who are following in our footsteps? And if you allow it, what I'd like to propose today is that there is a foolproof plan to ensure that you never fail those who follow you, a way that with full assurance and full confidence, you could tell your kids to follow you and you'll never let them down. Would anyone be interested in that? What I'd like to take a look at today is that in order to be a father worth following, you have to be a son worth submitting. And so our first point today is ideal imitation. It is so absolutely fascinating 
that God chose to use the relationship between a father and son to illustrate his relationship with him and Jesus. Because think about it. God is a spirit. Both God and Jesus have ever existed and always were. And for that reason, there was no requirement that Jesus had to be his son per se. Easily, God had, he could have chosen any relationship to define these two. They could have been partners. They could have been best friends. They could have been codependents or uncle, nephew, cousins, whatever the case. And yet, in all of his wisdom, God and Jesus define themselves as father and son. Have you ever stopped to consider that? I, I know that's about as fundamental to the facts of our faith as you could find, but what I'd like to ask this morning is, is there a deeper reason for God and all of his wisdom to choose this relationship, choose a relationship between a father and a son to define their roles? In fact, if you look at the book of John, you'll find that 10% of the verses in the gospel of John refer to the relationship between father and son. 10%, a total of 87 verses refer to this dynamic of God the father and his son, Jesus Christ, and how they interact together. And if one book of the Bible mentions something this many times, we better be paying attention. We know that Jesus, uh, he, he's tempted and he experiences all things like man experiences them, right? We know the Bible tells us that he can relate to everything we go through. And it's not like today, you know, we could look up to heaven and, and shake our fists at, at him and say, geez, you know, geez, Jesus, we've, we've got all these little eyes following us. All these footsteps are coming up behind us. Geez, Jesus, you know, you just don't know what that's like. Because 87 times God says, I have a son too. I too have someone following me. 87 times Jesus admits that he has a father and whom he's following. And so we all know that the life of a Christian boils down to someone who lives like Christ, right? Someone who lives the way that Jesus would live. Or in other words, as the Bible puts it, we are his followers. We follow Jesus. We commit our lives to doing and acting and saying and living and behaving and believing the things that Jesus would do, act, say, live, behave, and believe if he were here on earth. We follow him. We mimic him as Christians. But what is it that makes the life of Jesus worth following? What is it about Christ that we can point to and say, that, that right there, that I am called to live like, that I am called to mimic? Have you ever stopped to ask yourself that? What is it about Jesus? What about his life makes him qualified for millions and millions of people across thousands of generations and hundreds of years to model their life after him, to live the way that he would live, to follow in his steps? Well, what I'd like to claim today is that the secret to his sauce, the reason that Jesus' life was and is worth living like, the reason that he could openly and admittedly proclaim to come and follow me, the reason he calls others to follow him is because he was in fact following someone else too. Did you catch that? Jesus invites us to follow him with full confidence and full assurance that he will not lead us astray because he is following his father. And in knowing that, knowing that he's following his father, Jesus now has the full trust and the full assurance that he's not going to lead us astray. Not because he has all the answers per se, not because he, Jesus, is making all the right judgments and choices in his own will per se, but Jesus has full confidence that he's not going to lead us astray and he asks us to come follow him because he knows that his father, whom he follows, is perfect. In fact, he's holy, holy, holy. In fact, he's all-knowing. Jesus' confidence in leading others and in calling us to follow him is because he has confidence in his heavenly father whom he follows and not confidence in himself.
And so many of us might look at Jesus and give the excuse, well, psh, well, yeah, he's God, so, you know, of course he calls us to come follow him. Why wouldn't he? But, you know, Philippians 2, six disproves that excuse. The key to the perfect life of Jesus was not that he was God, because he laid aside his godness and he rendered it void and useless, Philippians 2.6 says. Instead, we find that the key, to find, the key to the life of Jesus, what made his life worth following, what allowed him to be able to say with confidence, come and follow me, was in fact that he submitted as a son to his heavenly father whom he followed. And this is what makes Jesus worth following. Let me give you a few key verses from the book of John. Again, there are 87 verses that refer to this relationship, but let me give you a few key verses from John. John 5, 17 says, But Jesus answered them, My father worketh, hitherto I work. John 5, 19 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For what's, what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. John 5, 30 says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. John eight twenty eight. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then, thou, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath judged, or I'm sorry, as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. The book of John is filled with these kind of verses. Over and over and over, we find verses filled with Jesus following his father and in return, inviting us to follow him. Over and over and over again, Jesus says, I can do nothing. I, Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ, I can do nothing of myself. I am incapable of doing my will, saying what I want to say, going where I want to go. I'm unable to work the work that I want to do, to judge and make decisions that I want to make because I can do nothing unless the Father does it first. I only do what the Father does. I only follow my Father. And as a result, Jesus could say, I have abundant life. It's the life that we see Jesus live out that results in following his Father. The results are a perfect relationship between Father and Son, a perfect life worth following. The results are a son in submission perfectly to the father, the flawless father worth following. And it's a perfect plan for others to follow as well. This is the thing, guys. Our challenge today is not to live a perfect life. And so with that, you can take a giant sigh of relief. We are not calling you to make every choice perfectly. We're not calling you to make every decision flawlessly, to figure out life on your own ability. If you want to lead your children and if you want to lead those around you perfectly, you don't have to have all the answers. Is that not a huge relief to anybody else? Is that not like the weight of the world taking off your shoulders? As a dad, as a leader, as a man, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all together. All you must do is submit as a son and follow the father. Follow his will, his ways, his words. And that's exactly what Jesus did, right? Jesus calls us to come follow him and he leads each of us to live a life like he lived and with full assurance, he confidently does so because he's doing what his dad does because he has the father worth following. The key to the life of Jesus was being a son willing to submit to his heavenly father worth following. Number two is imperfect imitation. Can we all just admit that we like to be in control? 
I, I know it's a man thing. I know it's a pride thing, right? But whether it's stopping to ask for directions when we're driving, whether it's putting IKEA furniture together without the instructions, we like to be in control. We like to think we know what we're doing and we don't need any help. And when it comes to being a dad or being someone who others follow, it all boils down to prideful thinking that we've got it handled and we know what we're doing. But can I tell you, this is a spiritual fatal flaw for men. If you're determined to believe what you want to believe, if you're settled on saying what you want to say, if you've decided to go where you want to go, to live and act the way that you want to live and act, you're not only failing yourself, but you're setting up every single person who's following behind you for failure. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that our hearts are deceitful and wicked, untrustworthy, black, dirty, filthy, wretched, putrid. That's our hearts. We can't be trusted. Our ways cannot be depended upon. And yet for generations, fathers have been setting a flawed example for their followers to follow. Men who placed their confidence in themselves instead of God and who led their families to their doom for decades. Just look at the Old Testament and and you'll see how many bad examples there are of flawed followers for centuries. How many fathers failed their followings, their families, because they looked to self instead of to God. Men who refused to submit and so they failed their families who followed we find Esau, right? He, he sells his birthright. He gives away the promises of God and, and the promises to his descendants because Esau believed he could take care of his own self. And as a result, we find that his descendants, his family, followed in his footsteps. Esau's descendants would go on to become the Amalekites. And the Amalekites would fault and fail and fall and fight Israel at every turn because Esau looked to himself instead of to God. Those following him would forever repeat Esau's mistakes, right? We find that Esau and his descendants, the Amalekites, would stop Israel from entering the promised land, right? They're about to enter the promised land, and here comes the Amalekites, and God curses them. We find Esau's descendants, the Amalekites, persuading Saul to sin and actually killing the first king of Israel. And ultimately, just like Esau... His descendants would be cursed by God. All because Esau set a pattern. He gave a flawed example to follow for centuries, for generations. His sons and grandsons and great-grandsons and great-great-great-grandsons and great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandsons. They would all repeat Esau's mistake because they followed their flawed father. We can take a look at the lineage of Ishmael, right? The illegitimate child of Abraham that was born out of confidence in man instead of confidence in God. Ishmael and his whole story represents man's ways instead of God's ways. And as a result, the Ishmaelites would follow in the same pattern of Ishmael for generations, destined to repeat in fault, failure, fallings, and fightings. We can take a look at Ham. And he would sin against Noah, right? He'd look at his father's nakedness. He would take matters into his own hands and do things his way instead of God's ways. And guess what? His son Canaan would follow suit. And every generation after would follow their forefather and follow in sin and follow in doing things their way instead of God's ways. And as a result, the Canaanites would fault and fight and fail and fall for following their forefather Ham. Men who chose to seek self to have confidence in their own ways, and they refused to submit to the ways of God. And for generations, their descendants followed in their flawed footsteps. And the same fatal flaw of following their failing fathers could be said for Israel, right? 
even for God's people. This is exactly what Jesus argues about in John 8. Jesus has been telling the Jewish people that he is God's son and he has come from the Father to do the will of the Father. And then in verse 38 and 40, Jesus says this, I speak that which I have seen with my Father, and you do that which you have seen with your Father. You do the deeds of your Father. And now in context here, Jesus is accusing these Jews of desiring to kill him because literally these religious people, God's chosen people, those who had been given God's holy word and who had been studying it to the umpt degree, still they chose their ways over God's ways to the point that they desired to kill God's son. They believed they knew what was best. And they decided to follow after their fathers who had killed the prophets of old, doomed and destined to repeat and the same mistakes and the same failures of their fathers. And Jesus calls them out. Jesus says, well, I'm busy following my heavenly father. You're down here following your earthly father because you're doing their deeds instead of the father's deeds. And it shows. You know, all of us have a biological dad or, or someone in our life that was a father figure. But let me lay out the facts for you. All of our earthly fathers have failed us. Every single one of them, from the greatest to the least, they have all let us down. Some may have intentionally failed our families, right? But others may have tried their best. But ultimately, all of our fathers were failures. There's no doubt there have been times that you followed in your dad's footsteps when you shouldn't have, right? And if we do, in fact, have people who are following us, whether it be our children or those around us, then there's a high probability that just like those that we followed failed us, that we're going to fail those who follow after us. And if we don't submit and we don't surrender to the Father's ways, we are dooming our families, just as our fathers doomed us to repeat their failures. We're investing in a broken cycle that never ends, and it ever ends in error. Do we really just, do we realize how serious our actions are? Do we truly comprehend how literally we are setting a precedence for the generations to come who will follow in our failures unless we submit to our Heavenly Father, unless we live our lives His way instead of our ways, unless we are willing to live by His example instead of the flawed example of our fathers. You're being followed, gentlemen. But are you willing to admit that you need someone to follow yourself? Are you willing to admit that you can't, but you know who can? Are you willing to submit as a son to your Heavenly Father and follow Him as others follow you? This is the only single way to make sure you don't lead those following you astray. It's the only way to make sure you're living a life worth following. The bottom line is this. The more and the more you submit as a son to your heavenly father, the more and more you'll be worth following as someone else's father. That brings us to number three. Invited imitation. And so with this realization, after understanding that what makes Jesus worth following is who he followed and who his father was, Take a look at what Jesus says after he died on the cross and he makes a way that God and man can be together again. Jesus says this, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. 86 times in the book of John, 86 times Jesus refers to God as his father. That is until Jesus defeats sin that separates man from God. 
And then for the first time and the only time, Jesus refers to God as his father and as your father, as his God and your God. Jesus made the way that we could come to God a way that we could follow the father the exact same way that he followed the father. He made a way that we could live a life worth following by following him and who he followed. We're no longer destined to follow our flawed fathers here on earth. But we're also no longer doomed to leave a flawed following behind us. Because now we have a new father. Now he is our father and he is our God. And consider what Jesus challenges as he's ready to leave this earth. In John 20, 21, Jesus says this, As my father hath sent me, even so send I you. Jesus challenges us to set a new path, right? A new pattern, to start a new cycle. Don't follow your flawed father, but now you have a new father. Now you have a way to God, just like I followed him, just like I submitted to him. Jesus says, so send I you. Follow the father like I followed the father because he's worth following. And in following the father, you will be worth following too. Christians, We're meant to live a life of following and worth being followed. It takes a lot of responsibility, a lot of effort to live a life worth following to the point that it will wear you down and it will exhaust you until you stop caring, right? I have witnessed this over and over and over in the church. Men who try and try with all they've got to be perfect and to do what's right and uphold themselves at all time until eventually they experience burnout. But the plan was never... For you to be the example for others to follow in your might. You, in fact, don't understand Christianity at all, if that's the case. We were never meant to do it. But we were meant to follow the one who has already done it. Submit as a son. And then follow the father. So here's the final challenge, gentlemen. If you are living a life that pleases God. If he is satisfied with your life and you're following his will. You should have absolutely no problem looking at anyone in your life and telling them to follow you, to live the way that you are living, to mimic your life. Just as Jesus could tell others around him to come and follow him, you should be able to do the same, but only if you're following the Father. Because your confidence is not in your abilities and it's not in your steps and your actions and your assurance is not in what you can do, but your assurance is in the Father whom you're following. A Christian man should live a life worth following. And this is exactly what we find Paul telling the church of Corinthians, right? In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul writes, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so we know Paul was an apostle, right? He had a calling and a role of his own. But do we realize that if we too are following Christ, if God is our father, just as he was the father of Jesus, then we should be able to say to our children and our Sunday school classes and our friends and our spouse and to the men in this room, we should say to one another, follow me, be my follower, because I'm following Christ who is following his father. When we're willing to submit to the son, we are in return following the father. And that will always make us a father worth following. And so men, ask yourselves this, who are you following Are you following the flawed footsteps of your father here on earth that's doomed and destined to let you down and fail you? Are you repeating that vicious cycle 
that will end in error every time? Are you living a life your way, saying what you want to say, going where you want to go, doing what you want to do, and in return, leading those behind you astray? Or are you willing to submit yourself to the Son so that you can follow the Father? Are you, like Jesus, like Paul, willing to say, follow me? Follow me with full assurance that the one you're following will not lead you astray. Do you have the audacity to invite those around you to follow you as you follow Christ? Are you willing to be a father worth following? Thanks so much for joining us for another session of the Sand Hill Men's Ministry. We hope that your soul has been stirred and your faith has been fortified in what God has called each of us to be as a mighty man. Men who are up for the challenge are invited to take part live, online, or in person in our monthly meetings of the Sand Hill Men's Ministry. You can also, of course, catch the video of each session or the podcast as a follow-up. For more information about the Sandhill Men's Ministry, to attend our next meeting, or for additional Christian content, please visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com. Thanks so much for joining us today as we continue on in Christ.